And each one of these has a problem. With Rudolph, you've got the red-nosed reindeer. His, his, his nose is red and it's glowing and nobody wants to be a part of him. And then with Frosty, you've got the greedy magician. And then uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, you've got the, the awful burgermeister that want, doesn't want to have anybody to have toys. Um, all of these have problems to be solved. And I think uh, the Christmas story, which I think all Christmas stories uh, originate from, uh, are the same way. They're borrowing from the, the Christmas story. So Jesus, um, his, his story doesn't really start December 25th. His story starts in Genesis chapter 3. And the problem is going to be addressed here with five questions. I know it says you got four questions there. One of them's two, so we're just going to break that one up into to two. But they are this. Um, Hath God said, that's old uh, King Jimmy language, where are you? Who told you? Have you eaten? What have you done? And then these are answered with a promise and a sign. So let's look at the first question. Hath God said? Every couple uh, that is in this building right now and has been in history um, knows that sometimes the question that is asked is not really the question that's being asked. So for example... Somebody in your family might say, somebody in this couple might say, is that what you're wearing to the dinner party? Now, on one hand, you might think that's just a simple yes or no answer, but it's really not because that's not what they, what they mean. What it means or it could mean is, are you that disrespectful and uncaring about us and about our hosts? Or is this occasion more formal or less formal than I was led to believe? Or, don't you care? It could mean all of those things. And the same thing's happening here. When Satan says to Eve, hath God said, or did the Lord really say that? What he's saying is, is God really trustworthy? Is his word true? And this is the, the crucial question that you and I have to deal with every single day. It's constantly there. It's just buzzing around like that fly in Sunday school class if you were there. It's, it's constantly there, landing on top of your head. Hath God said, is, is God really trustworthy? See, Satan is specifically calling into question the notion, the law, God's law, the idea that God can rule over us and command obedience and punish eternal death if we disobey. Another way for him to, he would never phrase this because he's crafty, but what he's really saying is this, isn't God really a liar? Because that's, how, that's what we do. That's where we go to in our lives. Because every decision, every action, every reaction, every proaction has got to be informed by and guided by um, and dictated by, hey, God is trustworthy. He's not a liar. His word is true. Because what happens, for me at least, I'm not going to impose my uh, neuroses on you, but when, when I'm in crisis, I want to say, yeah, God, this isn't what I signed up for. When I'm tired, when I'm lonely, when I'm covered up with guilt and shame, that question is ringing in my ears. Did God really say that he loved you? Did God really say that his word was trustworthy? Did God really say that this is what it was going to look like? 
Because God says, here's life, and, 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 and here's death. Would, I want you to have life. And if you don't choose life, then your only other option is death. Because you and I were born into sin, we're naturally disobeyers. But here comes this guy, Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, our friend, our elder brother. He comes in and he says, I'm going to meet the demands of the Father. Because I love you, because he loved you before the foundations of the earth, I'm going to meet those demands. Life and death. See, Satan wants to shrink God's generosity. You know, he, said, he's, he says, did God really say you couldn't have, eat from any of the trees in the garden? And what he really said in Genesis chapter 2 was, you can eat from every tree except one. He goes, let's, let's shrink his generosity. He wants to say he's a liar. But just look at your life. Um, think about it. It's, it's not a bed of roses at times. It's full of problems. And what we want to say is, if God really cared, he wouldn't have made my life this way. If God really cared, he would have protected me from this abuse. If God really cared, he would have protected me from this horrible marriage. If God really cared, he would have protected me from this disease or this uh, malady or whatever it is. But the Christmas story includes what Fritz read in Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything that is accursed. What he read in, in Revelation 21 at the beginning of the service, he's going to wipe away every tear. You won't even have history to think about anymore. And so what Jesus says by coming to earth, the Christmas story, right, the incarnation, is of course God's word is true. I'm, I'm the evidence of it is what he's saying to us. It's an indisputable fact, and because of that, every day can be like Christmas. All right, second question is, where are you? When you have to ask that question, um, it betrays the problem of separation. Now, every relationship in here has asked that question at some point and some time. Where, where are you? It's not that I can't find you in the house or I can't find you in town. You know, you're, you're, my wife... Uh, is uh, she can never hear the phone. You know, I'm, I, I'll call multiple times. It, it just never happens. I'm, I, I, on the other hand, and it rings, I'm, I'm there, right? It's not that. It's where are you in our relationship? Why are our lives separated? See, if we were created to be in relationship with God and we're hiding from him, how do we repair that relationship? What or who is going to bring us back together? See, you know the question, where are you? And if you are hiding in guilt and in shame, the only way to come out of the shadows is to be led by Jesus. He enters into the shadows with you and says, oh, no, you don't need to be here. You need to come with me. You need to come out into the light. See, God's free to use anyone or any means to lead us out of the darkness into light. But usually what, what or who he uses is us. He uses each one of us to be reconcilers, to bring other people into this marvelous light. 
So Jesus comes to the hiding ones and he says, look, I want you to exit the darkness of this guilt and shame. I don't want them to be your companions anymore. And then he stands with us before the God who asks, where are you? Because that's what God's asking in the garden here. Where are you? How is it that I can't find you because we used to be in perfect relationship and now you're hiding from me? And Jesus steps up and he says, they're here. They get to be here in front of you again, Father, because of me. No longer are they going to be separated. We get to be a family once again. To put it in Christmas terms, um, we don't hide on Christmas morning. I, I don't think. Maybe, maybe that's some weird tradition you have at your home. But you don't hide on Christmas morning. You're there. You want the presents. You're wanting to open them. You want to get into the stockings. You're waking up your brothers and sisters so that you can eagerly anticipate the gifts that were laid before you. It's just now, the, the Christmas tree, it looks like a cross. Jesus says, look, in order for you to answer the question, I'm here, you got to have not a Christmas tree, but you got to have a cross so that I can bring you back together. I'm going to be separated. Now God is going to say of me, where are you? I'm going to say of him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you can be in relationship with him. All right, third question. We're cooking. Who told you? Specifically, uh, God wants to know, who told you that you were naked? And the implication is this, in Genesis chapter 2, when it's talking about Adam and Eve, and they come together, and they've got this great marriage and all this stuff, and it says that they were naked and unashamed. And so now they're naked and ashamed because they're sewing fig leaves to make uh, loincloths. And so the question really is this, that God is asking them, who told you that you were worthy of shame? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were worthy of shame? And the answer is, God's law told you that. God's law spoke constantly in the garden. It speaks constantly now. And if you're in Christ, the law speaks life. And if you're outside of Christ, the law speaks death. So the question, if we wanted to even go further, is how are you hearing my law as somebody outside of me. How did that happen? What, what happened to make this take place? Um, I'll ask you to raise your hands again. Anybody do cruises? Are you a cruise person? Cruise ships? No? All right. I'm not a cruise person. But there are, like, rules about cruises. If You don't go on a cruise during uh, hurricane season. That's not a good idea. And when you're there uh, on the cruise, you know, you're constantly having to, to wash your hands. Uh, they were doing this, you know, before, before COVID and all that stuff. Uh, they've got all these rules, right? And I will never, ever pay attention to those rules because I will never, ever go on a cruise. I hate the idea of being on a cruise. I hate the idea of being out of control. I can't steer the boat. Some, i got to trust somebody else to do that. And I'm a horrible germaphobe. I mean, you think COVID for me has been like, ah, just, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. So think about Adam and Eve. Prior to Satan's temptation, 
laws and consequences of death and shame and guilt were in some sense nonsensical to them because all they knew was life. All they knew was affirmation. All they knew was worship. All they knew was freedom. To be able to hear the law condemn meant that their relationships were broken. They broke the covenant. And Christmas, here in July, we're thinking about December. Get ready. You might even want to go out and buy a present today. Means turning the tables on Satan so that when he asks, who told you that you were loved? Because that's what he's really asking. God doesn't love you. He wants to shrink your life. He doesn't want to expand your life. Who told you that you were loved? What happens at Christmas is Jesus' voice comes in and he drowns out the noise of Satan with, you are and always will be loved. And the proof of this is found in me. I'm the gift. My life, my death, my resurrection speaks louder than the voices of guilt and shame. It speaks louder than the voice of your accuser telling you, who told you you were loved? Of course you're loved. All right, fourth, have you eaten? All right, so I have a longish beard. I'm growing it out for a year. This is six months. It looked even longer, but my barber trimmed it up a little too much. And the only thing... Uh, I have a bunch of combs, and the only thing I can comb is my beard, because, you know, this doesn't exist anymore. Now, I have a son who is 20 years old, and he has long, flowing hair, right? And he has a job, and he's really stingy with his money, so he can save up all sorts of money, because he's still living under my roof. I'm not charging him rent or anything like that. He has no expenses. And do you know what that scumbag does? He steals all my combs. Every single comb that I have, he steals. He pinches them. Even the one that I have in my car, he took from me. So the question really means this when God says, have you eaten? He goes, have you of your own free will disobeyed the one command that carried with it the penalty of death? When you had every other tree to pick from. Why in the world did you pick from this one? There's this thing that this Dutch theologian that I absolutely love and look forward to meeting in heaven. A guy named Cornelius Van Til. He talks about the creator-creature distinction. And when God said to Eve, you ate what I said not to eat. He's saying, look, Christmas sometimes takes place in a fallen world. And it sometimes means opening the gift of this creator-creature distinction. It's the gift of, sometimes my guess is you guys read the Heidelberg Catechism number one, which is uh, when it's, I forget what the question is, but I know part of the answer is, you're not your own. You're not your own. We keep trying to live like fish out of water. Positive that we were made for living like fish out of water. And God comes and says, no. You're made to be who I made you to be. 
You've got to live up to this whole creator-creature distinction. This is who I am and this is who you are. They're convinced, you and I are convinced that we're made for something else. And he's saying, no, not at all. There's lots and lots of things that I've got for you. But you keep shrinking your life to just this one thing. You know, people with addictions, they, they get this. Because they shrunk their lives to just one thing. And I'm not going to talk about regular addictions. But just think about this. Um, I'm a dad. And I've been consumed as a dad with an addiction. And this addiction is that I want respect from my children. I'm consumed. They don't respect me. And they say something and I get all upset because they don't respect me. But that's not all there is, right? There's all sorts of other things about them that are wonderful. There are all manner of things. And I can let the, the idol of respect go by. And still love them. Or maybe, maybe you're a wife and you're consumed with the, with the idea of a model husband. You're addicted to it. But that's not all there is. Maybe you're parishioners here in this church and you're consumed with the perfect church, the perfect pastor, the perfect session, the perfect pastor's wife and pastor's kids. But you know, that's not all there is, Right? Adam and Eve started their sin culture being consumed with something other than God. They said, I'm going to be consumed with this rather than with him. And so when God said, have, have you eaten? He said, man, you, you've decided to be consumed with something other than me. Fifth question, what have you done? Briefly, it's this. God asks, what have you done? Right? That's what he asks Eve. And the, and the answer that Eve gives is to blame Satan. When he asks uh, Adam, have you eaten? Have you eaten? He goes, uh, it's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. See, blame shifting doesn't need a savior. And so what we do is we go, it's somebody else's fault. It's when you realize it's your fault that you actually need Jesus. And what I would encourage you to be as a church, to be as a family, to be as a marriage, um, is to have a culture that cultivates confession and repentance as a knee-jerk reaction rather than a last resort. When we confess our own culpability, then every day, because we sin every day, becomes like Christmas. Oh, I get forgiveness. I get the gift of repentance. I get the gift of truth. I get the gift of seeing who God is and his, his love for me. All right, last thing, promise and sign. These are the answers to these questions. The promise is there in Genesis 3.15. God, while cursing the serpent, says, I will put enmity, and that means hatred, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And it used to read your seed and her seed which kind of points to a dude rather than a girl. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The serpent's head is going to be crushed by the seed of the woman. And that seed, that dude, is Jesus. Jesus will defeat the enemy we have pledged allegiance to. And the implication being we will either be crushed along with Satan or we're going to be set free 
to be in relationship with God and God only again. See, Christmas time is when we give gifts. We give them uh, to those that are close to us, right? You buy them for your wife, buy them for your kids, buy them for the parents, you know, grandkids, things of that nature. And even if you got some people in your family that weren't so good, they were kind of pain in the rear this year, but you still give them a gift. You don't, we don't do the whole lump of coal in a stocking thing anymore. Um, we still give uh, the twits in our family gifts. That's what we do. But we usually won't give gifts to our enemies. We're not going to give gifts to the people that have betrayed us. But one of the greatest Christmases past, uh, Christmas passages ever is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where Paul says, hey, you were lost, you were children of wrath, you were awful. And then he says this, but God, great phrase, but God, being rich in mercy. You may never ever be rich, but you can always be rich in mercy. The Holy Spirit can enable you to be rich in mercy and you can lavish that gift upon everybody in your life. The promise in Genesis 3.15 is reiterated again and again across the pages of Scripture. Because this isn't an, an isolated instance. We're fixing to come to the table here in a minute. My guess is at some point, I don't want to mess with your liturgy, but at some point he might read from 1 Corinthians 11, which I love because Paul says, on the night when Jesus was betrayed... It wasn't on the night when he was affirmed. It wasn't on the night when everybody was giving him high fives. It was the night when he was betrayed and he gives him gifts. He breaks that bread and he gives him the wine. Prior to that, he was washing their feet. So that's the promise. The sign was this. You see it there in Genesis 3, verse 21. It says, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. God clothes naked, ashamed, blame-shifting covenant breakers with a sacrificial animal, because that's the only way you can get skins. I mean, you might be able to get fur from something, but you can't get skin without killing something. Jesus, at his birth, he sets aside his garments. He had spent eternity being loved and affirmed by the angels, by God, by, by God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. It was perfect. And he says, I'm going to set these aside so that I can put on the garment of humanity, and I'm going to endure humiliation. And I'm eventually going to endure death. Eventually, I'm going to be stripped naked of the, what little clothes I had in this world, and I'm going to hang on a cross, and I'm going to be ashamed I'll be naked and ashamed, so you don't have to be. I'll be separated, so you don't have to be. I will take on the robes of shame and guilt so that you can have the robes of my righteousness. That's Christmas. This is the answer to God's questions. And hopefully it's the answer to ours too. All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll come to the table. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christmas. Man, I hope people go out and, you know, Sabbatarian stuff aside, uh, wear their Amazon lists out today. To 
they are moved by the love that you have shown us to love one another in this city, in their marriages, in their homes, in this church. We pray for folks that are hurting, that you would heal them in all sorts of ways. In your son's name, amen.